Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Sunday, February 20th. This is episode number 138. I am your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. How are things going today? Hey, Rod. Hey, doing doing all right. Hey, uh, we're... Uh, been, a, been, a, been a tricky weekend, but I'm looking forward to talking to our guest today. I've, I've actually um, wanted to speak with this guy for a long time. I really respect what he does and I think he has the coolest first name in sports. I yeah, I would I would agree with you. So uh, so uh, uh, joining us today is is Thor Nystrom. Uh, follow him at Thor Ku. Thor is the, a, the I guess the senior content creator for uh, college football and NFL draft for uh, NBC Sports Edge. Thor, how's things going today? They're going well. Good to be joining you boys. And I'm excited to talk about uh, some NFL draft stuff. And with the combine coming up, we're really ramping up. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. We'll kind of put the disclaimer out because, you know, we're, we're doing this earlier than we normally would uh, because we wanted to have you on the show because, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think of this and it's like, you know, th- this is your time of year when you get really busy, obviously. But I know that I know how busy you are with this year round. Um, this, this is not like a thing where you work three months out of the year. I'm sure you're working on this all the time. So I don't want to make the rest of the year sound like you're not doing anything, but you know, the next, next, what do we have? Six weeks, six weeks or so, you know, till the draft is when you're, um, you know, really kicking it into gear and, and your, your, your calendar is probably blocked out by the hour. So, so we appreciate you taking this time, um, with us, but, the, the disclaimer is that, you know, the combine hasn't happened yet um, and we're still a ways away. So so what you hear today is based on the information that's, you know, out there right now and the research that, that Thor's done up to this point and everything. So um, so I guess I guess the, the first thing that we always want to start with, Thor, is what are you what are your general thoughts on this on this draft class? You know, strengths, weaknesses and what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? I think, um, you know, like if, if you're just looking at the differences between this year's class and last year's class, this one is definitely deeper. Um, last year's class, it was cut off at like at like 650 or 700 prospects or something like that, just because you had the um, the NCAA waive the eligibility for 2020 for COVID. So you could have all these, you know, fifth and sixth year seniors that normally their eligibility would be exhausted that were coming back to college. So last year we, we had a in terms of modern times for draft, a historically shallow pool, just in terms of numbers. Um, this class is way deeper in terms of the numbers, like, but I'm I'm talking like triple. Um, and so, so you have that, you know, just number one. I, I think this class, maybe you could argue that it's a little bit less top heavy, but I, I think that's mostly due to the discrepancy in, in quarterback classes. You know, the, at the, you know, last year, of course, at the very, very top, you had, you know, Lawrence and Lance and Wilson, all these, you know, Fields, all these different guys. Um, and so there was a uh, maybe a perception that it was more top heavy. But again, I, I think that is mostly due to the the quarterback class. And and that is one one thing that's a little bit down for this year. So just off the top of your head, just give me just give me a couple of your favorite prospects at this point. Definitely Malik Willis. Um, you know, this not, not to go against what I just said, you know, as far as the quarterback class goes, but 
the last year's quarterback class, you know, I, I think anyone looking at it, they they at least you're going to plant your flag on a couple guys is like this guy is not going to bust. I, I don't think there's a chance that he's going to bust in this quarterback class. It's different because you don't have that sure uh, thing. You don't have that that sort of surefire thing that you, you know, prospect that you feel really, really good, you know, is going to develop or whatever. So it, it, in a class like that, I want to go for the highest ceiling guy. And that is so very clearly Malik Willis, his he has the tools to, for me, you know, I, I comp him to a right-handed Michael Vick because there, there's just so few guys in the history of the NFL that you can compare to his athleticism and his arm strength. Michael Vick is one of the very few. Um, so he's he would definitely be be up there. You know, he was my quarterback one going into the Senior Bowl week, and um, that's, you know, at the time it wasn't a – was was far from a consensus take, and, and now it's becoming more so. I think he's going to dominate at the Combine too and keep rising. Um, so he would, he would definitely be one of my, my sort of pet guys, um, a sleeper running back that I like, like going, going deeper. I I'm a big fan of Tyler Goodson from Iowa. I, I think he was stuck in a really, really bad situation in college. Um, his offense just stunk and the offensive line uh, last year was probably the worst Iowa would put out in the last 20 years. And that's, that's including having Tyler Linderbaum in the middle, have the best center season the PFF has ever graded. Their guards and their tackles were way off from from what Iowa Hawkeye football usually is, and their quarterbacks were awful. So he he was he was sort of a marked man every time they snapped the ball, um, and he, he didn't have much of a line of defense in front of him as far as blocking for him. So he he'd be another guy. I mean, I could keep tossing you names at, at different positions. There's there's all sorts. I like Bull Melton at receiver, another Big Ten kid. He's you know he goes to Rutgers, but like way yeah. deeper down. You know, like a, a day three type prospect that because of circumstance, I think he's going to go lower than he ought than his talent level indicates he ought to go. Yeah, guys, there's so many directions I go here. Um, let's just uh, get, we'll we'll get into the Browns a little bit later. Okay, I think we'll just talk in, in general at first. So, so Jeff, jump in here whenever you want. But let's let's talk a little bit more about this quarterback class because you know the situation with the Browns with with uh, with Baker being in his you know fifth fifth season and uh, you know there's Baker lovers, Baker haters, and uh, you know the Browns are are in a spot where they need to either after the season can you know try to sign baker long term or or go another direction so there's potential the browns go you know take a quarterback in this draft so um when i look you know my first my first thought in looking at this quarterback class was there's not a lot of size with many of these guys and and uh you know and uh, malik willis obviously has the tools and some other guys have tools but there's not a lot of size um how many developmental guys are really in this class? And I'll let, you know, and Jeff, you can jump in on this with some other guys who you're thinking about. Um, sure. You know, I mean, I mean, there's other guys that, that people bring up, Desmond Ritter and, you know, and other guys that are probably further down. But how many guys do you think in this draft class can really develop into, you know, a solid starter in the NFL? That potential maybe. Maybe five that that you would you would feel comfortable, um, you know, if you had a top two round pick, uh, maybe that that you could say that about. Um, Willis is the only guy that I think has the the tools to be a top five quarterback in the NFL. Um, the the rest of these guys, y- you're talking about. It's still a band of outcomes, but the 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 bonanza ceiling for the guy isn't nearly as exciting. Like for instance, um, Kenny Pickett, um, you know, he's he probably still 
at this point, maybe the tide has turned a little bit, you know, as far as the QB1 consensus. But heading into the senior ball, he was I mean, the industry consensus for sure was Kenny Pickett was was QB number one. Well, Mm -hmm. his his bonanza upside, it's like Kirk Cousins, like if everything goes right for him um, or Andy Dalton in his prime, like you're, you're talking about something like that. And again, that is the very high end of his ceiling if everything goes right for him. And he's supposed to be the quarterback one. Sam Howell, um, he, he gets ubiquitous comps to, to Baker Mayfield um, going back multiple years now. I don't think he I, I would put it as he's 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 Baker Mayfield like, but only if it was a better runner but not nearly as ballsy of a passer. And and there's a risk aversion to Sam Howell's game that that is going to make me knock him down. That's what I think the difference is between him and Baker. Uh, Sam Sam Howell just won't won't test windows if he doesn't think he has the best of it um, in a way that I think is detrimental to his game. You, you mentioned the size thing. The, the uh, one guy for sure that um, you know goes against that because a lot of these guys they are you know Matt Corral is a small a small guy you know. They, yeah. they list him at 205, but I, I think he was 190 in college. What one guy that's the difference? It's Carson Strong. You know, he's he's more like your your sort of Joe Flacco, you know, or or Ryan. Ma- he ain't as tall as Ryan Mount, but it's sort of that prototypical big strapping kid in the pocket with a big arm. Um, but he, you know, as far as the the prototype uh, pocket, NFL pocket passer, you know, thinking back like classic, you know, classic Coke style of it. Um, Carson Strong is the only guy in the top seven of this class that would sort of fit that um, sort of picture in your head. So what what are your thoughts on Strong? Well, he he so he's got a big arm um, and he was very productive in college and he functionally within the pocket like so he he had this knee injury um where you know they they did surgery on him and but he wanted to play last season so he you'll see him when you watch him on tape like having this knee brace he had, he had a knee brace on every single game until the the finale he wasn't he, th- that basically confined him to the pocket um and so but it, it doesn't look like that's going to be a long-term uh sort of a uh, i mean it, it, a long-term sort of injury in mobile. He was moving, he came out without that knee brace and he was moving around a little bit better than I thought um, that he would. But the the thing for me was strong that I'll have him a little bit lower. It's not pessimism about the knee. Cause I've actually heard from a couple different people that that's not like a long-term thing. Um, it's, it's more that uh, for a guy who's confined to the pocket in an NFL that is increasingly going towards we want multifaceted offensive tools, not just that mm-hmm. quarterback. Of course, you have the dual threat, but you're seeing all this stuff like this past season. There was more uh, uh, handoffs given or you know carries given to wide receivers than any other season before. And by far, you know, just like an, you've seen this exp- exponential sort of growth on the chart of like teams are starting to um, um you know, like in, I'll put it this in a basketball metaphor way. Uh, you know, they they started to go to like this concept of like positionless basketball. You know, like in the past like decade, and some teams like they they don't have the the you know traditional designations because of the way they play. And it seems like the NFL is going more towards that. Um, and so anyway, Carson Strong, you know, how does he fit into that mold when he? Uh, if he's on your offense, he's taking away that that mobile element or, or some of these different uh, folds within your your playbook that other quarterbacks are able to open up um, j- just because of their legs. But like I said, he does have that big arm. Um, he, you know, he's a very talented passer. Um, c- concerns about him beyond what I just stated. Um, it's it's his ability to perform under pressure. Um, you'll see looking at his numbers specifically last year. His his um, 
like his his play under pressure with 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 guys in his face and stuff like that under duress, it dropped off a shelf from his work within a clean pocket. So that that's always a concern for me. Can you explain mm-hmm. it away as well? He had this big knee brace on and his knee was swollen all year and it was harder for him to move. Maybe you know you you, you, might, you might be able to do this. So maybe that projects a little bit better in the NFL. Um, but it also might not, right? Like that just might be a, a function of his game. The the other thing is he's got a big bazooka arm. He's for sure top three in this class in terms of arm strength. But this is something that I noticed in Mobile that you also saw a little bit on his tape, which is he misses deep more than you would like for a guy who's one of his big time calling cards is is his arm and his arm strength and his ability to push down the field. And and so like I saw him sail a lot of throws in Mobile, or or his passes would be drifting towards the sideline. Now I I talked to someone that um, is way more uh, how would you say, well versed in the air raid system than than myself. And this person is also mm-hmm. a bigger fan of Carson Strong than myself. And the way that it was explained to me was that um, in the air raid system they teach you if you're going deep that you want if if you're gonna miss you miss long and you miss towards the sideline. Um, and so, the, you know, they were sort of trying to, you know, give a not an excuse, but like, you know, sort of maybe add some context about about that. But for me, I, I want to see him dropping the ball in the bucket for his receiver more often um, again, because the calling card is his arm. Yeah. So, hey, I, I have a quick question on Carson Strong. Um, you know, and I may tip my hand a little bit when I ask this question, the way I phrase it, but. For it, sort of, I'm going to call him an old school style quarterback. Fair, fair assessment, right? I mean, he's he's yep. you know pocket passer, right? Um, yep. Does that style lend itself better to a team in terms of fit that has a really strong offensive line and wants to run the ball a lot? I mean, I know he didn't take a lot of snaps under center. He he was more successful out of the gun. Does that limit your playbook a little bit or, you know, what, what type of offense do you see him fitting best in? Yeah, well, I, it for sure limits your playbook, you know, and, and this, this could go into a bigger discussion, you know, as far as like people calling Malik Willis raw, but you don't call Carson strong wrong. You're, you're sort of uh, conflating to like the, the concept of their game within structure within the pocket when you're not bringing up the fact of all the value that Malik Willis's legs bring, for instance, against a guy like Carson Strong, you don't call him Raz or, you know, they, they don't even bring that in, you know, in, into sort of the discussion when there's two ways to acquire yards in the NFL. And it's not just, you know, being able to steal the yards with your legs. It's also the spacing on the field that your, your legs open up for you. Going back to a, a basketball metaphor, a guy like LeBron, you, you guys are in Ohio, a guy like LeBron James, when he, uh, when he drives, right? Like the defense has to collapse on him, which, opens up spacing for all the other players on the court. It's why, you know, when typically LeBron James teams, they're looking for three-point shooters around him because he changes the entire uh, dimensions of, of, of the court, whatever. What, you know, that's something with Carson Strong that you won't have. The RPO game, you won't have. Uh, testing the defense outside, you won't have. Um, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So so I definitely agree, um, you know, as far as all that stuff. And what was the other uh, part of that question? I, I sort of went on the aside there, the last part of it. Does he work best within a Browns type offense, um, you know, in terms of, of the running game and the strong offensive line? That's right. Yeah. Probably. I mean, just sort of uh, stylistically, probably yes. Right. Because, um, you know, like if, if you were looking at that in, in comparison to some of these other NFL offenses where, um, 
you know, where it's it's more you're leveraging more of, of these other sort of uh, new agey concepts that have come up from college, you know, as far as spreading, you know, as far as like getting the quarterback on the perimeter, stuff like that. And, and I, your point's well taken as far as I do think Carson Strong needs to be behind a strong offensive line. Um, and it would be certainly preferable if, if he had a good uh, uh, running game next to him because he's he's going to provide you zero uh, value with, his, you know, of course, with his legs. So it, it has to be a more traditional um, downhill sort of running at, uh, attack as far as that goes. The other thing I'd say is um, he was, I, 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 you know, I don't want to, evo- especially, you know, with an Ohio podcast, evoke Joe Burrow a, a, as a thing that, but um, Joe, <laughs> so, so, so this is not a, this is, this is absolutely not a comp for, for Carson Strong at all or anything like that. But Joe Burrow, when, when the reason that he jumped off at LSU, he always had that, that talent there, but it was when, when the more guys that they spread onto the field, you know, the, the better he got. And he explained it to his offensive coordinator, like, it's just the snapshot in my head. And he could very quickly process, you know, the body's moving in space, which is the guy that, that is going to be open or that I can throw open, et cetera. Carson Strong, he he will benefit as well the more wide receivers that you put out there. Um, and, and so the other thing I would say about him is 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 an offense that that spreads, you know, the, the, the defense. You know, you have at least three guys out there, maybe even four. Um, with the single back in in the backfield, um, and and you allow you know the spacing as far as downfield intermediate area, and hopefully his arm can shine from there. Do you do you have a sense of how teams evaluate that particular skill set? I mean, the the ability to view the field and and process options and make decisions. I mean, can can you compare one player to another in that ability? I mean, you know, I don't know how successful Wonderlick is at predicting that or are there other metrics the teams use? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And it's one of those things that I think is hard to sort of quantify, right? Like, it's like, you know, with running backs, it's like, you know, what, you know, I always say, like, what's the most valuable trait for a running back? Well, it's the ability to stay off the turf to keep your feet above right. you. Right. Like, and, and, right. and with, with, with quarterbacks, I, your point's well taken the ability to process information extremely quickly and trust your eyes and then have, you know, like a marionette where the, 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 the arm is going with the eyes that the full body's going with that. And, and everything's just seamless like that. Um, it's extremely important, but I don't think that there, you know, t- to your question about the, the wonder, like, I don't think there's one thing where you can point to, um, and I'm just talking uh, uh, as a broad data set going back 25 years, there's not one thing where you could point to where like these guys that when they went to the NFL, they, they were very clearly just incredible processors of the field. Um, and, and this is the one thing you can point to that would accurately predict that. I don't think the, the wonder like does it. Cause we've seen guys come in that have awesome wonder legs that, you know, as, as quarterbacks that, that sort of play like doofuses on the field. And then you, you have the, the, the other way around, for instance, like didn't Dan Marino have like some shockingly low, uh, wonder right. score? you know, there was a couple studs that did. So I don't necessarily think it's as much as that as. Um, this is one of those, th- you know, you know, there, there's sometimes an argument between like the tape scouts and like data or analytics type scouts. This is the reason why I think you can't go all the way one way or the other, because this is one of those things that you need to pick up when you're you're watching the thing. There's no stat that's going to point to it or, or anything like that. It, it's sort of an unquantifiable thing. But you see a guy like Joe Burrow or a guy like, um, you know, going older, uh, Drew Brees or Tom Brady. Those were guys that were elite at that. And Carson Strong going into the NFL, he ha- he's going to have to become extremely good to elite at that because he's confined to the pocket. Yeah. So um, while I'm thinking about it, Thor, 
since since uh, the combine hasn't happened yet, just as far as you and your process, what kind of weight in the evaluation process do you give the combine for these prospects? And how much, how much, as far as the the physical part of it, because we don't really know what happens in the interviews, but how much of the physical part of it do you think the NFL teams give compared to what they see on film in the, in the actual interviews? It's definitely important, um, it, it, you know, the, in terms of the testing. Um, and then also, I mean, that that's the part of the data set that I get access, that we all get access to. You know, they, they also um, have a, a level of, they, they also put a level of importance upon getting the kid in front of them and, and talking to them. That's something yeah. that, you know, that we don't see as much. So we don't get as good of, a, you know, like, for instance, Josh Rosen's year, you know, he was getting trashed by a lot of anonymous quotes that, you know, it turned out that maybe, you know, we should have listened a little bit more that maybe Josh Rosen wasn't as dedicated to the craft, whereas so, some other times, you, you know, you see it opposite sort of way. But just as far as what, you know, especially for someone like me in in, in terms of this, the, the testing numbers are extremely important um, on all ends of the spectrum, because first off, there's guys that will go out and test during this process that are going to eliminate themselves um, from having an, op- I mean, th- you know, they already are because it's, it's just what their athleticism is. But, you know, if, if a guy tests in the bottom 10% in terms of spark or in terms of uh, Raz, Kenley Platt's Raz, if they're in the bottom 10% heading into their, their, you know, into the NFL in their position group historically in terms of athleticism, their odds of hanging around in the NFL for more than two years are minute. There, there's okay. some guys that will be, will be able to, to do it, but I mean, you're talking very, you know, and, and the odds that they become a standout is, you know, essentially zero. Um, whereas, you know, you go up higher, you know, to guys that we know are going to get drafted, it becomes more about um, sort of a degrees thing where you have questions about certain guys going in. Um, and you don't have questions about, you know, other other cer- 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 certain things. Like, for instance, I didn't need Trevor Lawrence to even have a pre-draft process last year to know yeah. that he was, you know, going to be one of my top guys. But there's other guys where they got they got numerous questions. You know, some of them are really big. You know, for instance, Hakeem Butler, um, during his draft process, it was, can this guy separate? It, what is his agility level? That was an extremely important question for, you know, for his evaluation. And, you know, j- just as one, for instance, in this one, there's a bunch and every single time when they go into whether it's a uh, all-star exhibition after the season or they go to the combine um there's different things that you're looking for so like for instance with um christian watson from ndsu who's he might be my favorite sleeper receiver although i at this point i'm not sure that he is a sleeper anymore because of what he did in mobile but (laughs) you know when he went to mobile and i was talking in fact I, i talked about um Christian Watson with Eric at home of Yahoo on the Tuesday morning, you know, before the first practice. And, you know, cause we were both very intrigued by him, but we sort of, it was the same sort of thing where it was like, we agreed that he was a prototypical outside green Bay Packer receiver, just, just, just base level of what we knew about him, you know, six, four over 200 pounds, really well built and a speed merchant down the field, you know, a high four, three speed or, or low four fours. And if you watch the, you know, everyone that does this, watch, you know, watching the Trey Lance tape uh, last spring, all those bombs that he had downfield in the Fargo dome, the guy on the receiving end of invariably all of them was Christian Watson. But what you were, what you were interested to see is at NDSU, I mean, not only was he playing against the lower competition, but he also, his, the way that they used him, it was it was the the downfield stuff, just just torching people because 
NDSU's running offense is so good. You have to, you know, bring people up. It's really hard to devote um, two people deep every single time Christian Watson, you know, wants to go deep. And there's no FCS cornerback that's going to stop him at the line. He's releasing freely. So, um, mm-hmm. so there was that. But it, within the the scope of that offense, the the one, th- you know, they, they did a lot of the, the deep shots. They did a lot of the running. What you saw less of, way less of, was his work in the intermediate area. And so I knew he could torch people. I knew he could get off the line. Um, I knew he was a physical specimen. And also one other thing I, that I saw in Mobile that, that I knew about this kid was that he blocks his ass off. It, like the, the, the effort he gives on every single play, when, when there was a long run in Mobile, invariably it was because Christian Watson had either planted his cornerback on, on the sideline or else he was 30 yards downfield acting as a lead envoy. You know, at NDSU, if you're playing offense, you are blocking. There's no, you know, you can't be a diva receiver there. But to the point, Christian Watson goes to to Mobile. The one thing I'm watching specific, just zeroing in on with him, how how is how are his routes when it's not just running, you know, the nine route deep, and how is he in in the intermediate sector? How is he catching the ball when there's a bunch of garbage and traffic around him? Because like. You know, downfield, I know that he can win in contested situation downfield that, you know, you can see that with your eyes. And and that's something that the data will bear out, too. But again, what we saw less of it was that intermediate stuff. And it's a different skill set, right? Like a guy like Tyler Johnson at Minnesota, he he was not as good with the downfield stuff or uh, certainly being, you know, an outside receiver, just period. But as far as being a slot receiver, he was extremely good at at picking uh, around traffic and, you know, all that sort of stuff that you have to deal with as a slot receiver, just more bodies. you know, there's less space to work with. And then, you you know, you got to sort of find your, your spacing or, or create separation. And then you, you got to catch the ball. Right. And so Watson being on the outside, um, he he I mean, like throughout that week um, was extremely impressive in, in those aspects, you know, in, in, in the intermediate thing, in, in the route running thing, just snapping off routes, creating separation where. Um, um, Kenny Pickett in particular was was thrilled to be working with him, you know, as far as like the intermediate stuff, because Watson mm-hmm. was coming down with everything he threw to him. So th- just one example of, you know, y- you go into these things, you're looking for these very specific things. And and when we you know flip it forward to the combine, there's all these different guys where like m- maybe it's a running back that I think probably lacks a high end burst. And so I'm going to be looking to see what his 40 time is. Or it's a, a wide receiver, you know, for instance, you know, in the Hakeem Butler or uh, DK Metcalf was another guy. There was a huge question about this heading into his process. You know, wh- what what's their agility like? What's their lower lower level explosion like? Um, very specific things. And then there's some guys I, I, you know, like Jerry Judy tested horrible a couple of years ago, but I didn't really care because I on the field, he's athletic. So I didn't care that yeah. he tested as a 20 percent guy. So there's some guys where the, the David Bell is a great example in, the, in this wide receiver class. You're, you're you want to see how he tests. Because you know he's a good receiver, but the, the athleticism, you're not exactly sure where that is. Drake London is another one from USC. And very specific things that you're zeroing in on. So so uh, short story long, it is important. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to let Jeff jump in on this. Um, you know, the uh, the combine, it's important, I think, for for probably pretty much every position. But at, at tight end, you know, you're looking to see which guys are, you know, have, have the speed because everybody's looking for the next, you know, tight end that can that can separate and take a game over. Um, so which guys do you expect to, you know, maybe maybe make a move and, uh, you know, based on the combine and how athletic they'll appear at the combine? And 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 Jeff, which uh, which tight ends are you most interested to hear Thor's opinion on? Well, so I, I think there's a, I think there's a couple of different 
uh, types in this draft. Um, you know, the real athletic receiver types and then the more complete um, traditional type of tight ends. But, I mean, the guy that sort of jumps off the screen and maybe it's because of, you know, the Nevada offense is Cole Turner. Um, I, first of all, I love his hair. Um, <laughs> but in terms of what, what he does on the field, um, you know, I, I think that gives that would give the Browns a, a different type of player. Um, so I'm, I'm interested, in, you know, to hear what Thor has to say about guys like that. And, and, you know, can we can we make the tight end position a little bit more dynamic in Cleveland? Yeah, Cole Turner, he was he was one of those guys going in the senior ball. I was really excited to watch. You know, he, he was going to get to work some with 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 his quarterback from college. Obviously, Carson Strong was there as well. And he was one of those guys that in college was consistently stretching the seam, you know, and stuff like that. And, he, you know, was dangerous down there. He was a little bit stiffer in Mobile than, than you know, or at least, you know, in terms of the eye test than, than we thought. So, I mean, you talk about a guy where I'm very interested to see how he tests. Cole Turner became one of those guys because, for instance, like um, Jeremy Rucker, he looked uh, from Ohio State, he looked a lot more fluid than I thought he would in, in Mobile. Whereas um, Cole Turner and and also I, I thought Romeo Dupes, you know, his college teammate and Strong's college teammate, I, I thought he was a bit stiffer than, than I thought from tape. And and so, you know, then you start to wonder, is is Carson Strong a little bit better than I thought playing these guys up or um, it could just be a bad, you know, it could have just been a bad couple of days, you know, for for those guys. But Cole Turner, I mean, he's yeah. it's a very interesting um, uh uh, uh, profile for him because the the receiving element of his game is absolutely there. He he has good hands. Um, he and he lined up in line, you know, quite quite a bit, and I, I think probably more than than some people would think. I, I'm look last year he he lined up in line. Uh, I think it was 75 percent of the time. Um, you know, so he he can go between um, in line. He can go slot, and you could even put him outside if the athleticism is there. You know, his a dot was was very high as well. Um, but one thing we didn't see in college was him running after the catch much, and he also doesn't block much. And so he has to have the athleticism there. We know he's got the hands. Um, you know, th there is a sort of natural receiving feel to his, to his game, but the blocking will not be there. So the athleticism needs to be for him to take a slot receiver off the field for you, if that's what he's going to be in the NFL, a big slot. Gotcha. So uh, where, would you, where would you expect those guys to go, roughly, Thor? Third, third, fourth round. The or, well, it, it, in the tight end class, the tight end class yeah. is really interesting because um, you know you you were asking just about the overall um, scope of the class earlier on. Yeah, yeah. tight ends one of those classes that you don't have like in this class you don't have the Kyle Pitts you know just just crazy mm -hmm. standout stud guy, but this this tight end class is extremely deep. You know, like if um, yeah. I, I think most people have Trey McBride as as the first guy, but then after that. You have this big quagmire of guys where I, you know, I think they could go anywhere between the the second or sixth round, and they're they're still sort of differentiating themselves. I like J Jalen Weidemeyer from uh, uh, Texas A and M a lot. Before this past season, this past season he he played down a bit. He for sure would have been my tight end one if 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 it was like these guys coming out of 2020. So he's a guy that I need to go back and watch a little bit more. Jeremy Ruckert, I, I mentioned him. He was one of the stars of, of the Senior Bowl. Cade Otten, um, Isaiah Likely, uh, Jake Ferguson, Charlie Kolar. You, you guys mentioned Cole Turner, uh, Dulcich from from UCLA. He was opening up some eyes there. Daniel Bellinger has a, has a lot of fans in the league. You know, as, as a as a guy who's a really good blocker, inline kind of guy where maybe you can get some receiving value out of him as well. And then, you know, because of the depth of the class, 
there's guys later on where if you're just looking at them for a very specific kind of utility, um, I think you'll be able to find those as well. Um, for instance, Grant Calcaterra out of SMU, he was a kid, he was a very highly touted prospect who had gone to Oklahoma um, and he'd been sort of stuck there, you know, but behind other, you know, Andrews initially and, and stuff like that. And then um, he had some injuries and he actually medically retired from the game, but then he came back, transferred to SMU. He's very similar to like a Kylan Granson, who, by the way, is the guy that he took over for in the exact same position in the SMU offense, you know, as sort of that that big slot kind of a guy. So, he, you know, he, he's a guy that I think is going to be available uh you know, sixth round, fifth, sixth round um, that, you know, that could help out a team. Um, some people like that. The, the Maryland uh, kid, um, Aquanu, I, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Jelani Woods from Virginia is like a big kid that can get down the field and move. Derek Deese didn't even get invited to the Derek Deese Jr. You know, his dad obviously played in the NFL. He didn't even get invited to the combine, but he was spectacular last year. He's a, he's a really um, athletic tight end that can get downfield and, and stretch the seam. And he's a little bit smaller. I think that's why the NFL didn't uh, invite him. But as far as a guy that could be available in the sixth or seventh round, a guy who has NFL bloodlines, who's a very good receiver, who I know is going to uh, pass the athletic threshold stuff um, and, and was actually pretty good as a blocker in college. Now, you know, it was more stuff out in space against smaller guys, not going to be an inline guy. Um, but but he's another guy that I would look at. And even if you want to take a developmental shot on a guy who's just like, you know, like a Rico Gathers type. Um, this year, um, Armani Rogers, a, a former quarterback from um, both Ohio and UNLV, that's one guy that I would toss into to sort of that thing. Like he he's like 6'6", 230 or 235 right now, but he hasn't tried to gain weight before. He's mm-hmm. he's very athletic. He couldn't throw in college. That's the reason why, you know, he, he sort of bounced around or whatever. But he's one of those guys, you get 15 pounds on him, maybe he can turn into something. So I, I really like this tight end class. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Interesting to see where they all shake out. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, so so let, let's move on to wide receiver, and uh, I, we kind of have to tie the Browns into this because uh, you know the Browns pick thirteen, and and a lot of people think that the Browns pretty much have to take a receiver at thirteen, and I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything negative about people who are thinking that right now, but I mean we have free agency still coming up and and things like this so a lot of things can change you know we haven't seen the combine yet um you don't know what players are going to be on the board at 13 so um let, let's just look at this wide receiver class and, and your favorites and uh you know who who would be there at 13 that would be you know the guys that the browns couldn't pass on and if if they don't take a guy at 13 is there enough of a difference in this class that the Browns can, you know, that the Browns would be okay? I mean, is the depth such that the Browns can get uh, enough value, you know, later on in the draft? You know, maybe, you know, maybe trade up, trade down, whatever. But, you know, their next pick's at 44. Um, it sure seems to me like there's a lot of value and a lot of depth in this wide receiver class. A lot of guys I like, and I haven't looked at this class nearly as much as Jeff has and not even closely, you know, as much as you have. So, so what do you, I would, I would position it this way. How many guys in this class are true number ones and what's the drop off to the high number twos? Well, in in terms of that, that is where you would have to pop, you know, the, the wide receiver at, at 13, I I think because the, 
the guys that that are true blue uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, projectables to wide receiver one, that is a smaller list. Traylon Burks, for sure. If Traylon Burks was there, if I was the Browns, I, I would have to think really hard about that. He's going to be my wide receiver one. Um, he's a guy, some people comp him to AJ Brown because, uh, um, you know, he played in the slot a lot in, in his build, but he's more athletic than AJ Brown. He's, he's just not as po- nearly as polished coming out. Um, some people comp him to Debo Samuel and his usage is sort of similar. You know, he's one of those guys that you can do so many different things with. Um, so that's similar, but he's bigger. Um, you know, he's a, he's a more fortified version of that. So it, it's hard to, I, I've seen some people comp him to Andre Johnson. I've seen some people comp him to Demarius Thomas. Um, but however, you, you know, however you sort of split the baby on that one, um, I think he's the guy in this class that has the highest potential just because of his physical package. Um, another guy I like yeah. a lot, and, and this guy would have been in contention, I think, for wide receiver one if he hadn't torn his ACL in the national title game is Jamison Williams. He reminds me a ton of Jerry Judy coming out. You know, he, he's a little bit over six foot, you know, or six one. Um, he's he's sort of skinny, but he's extremely sudden on the field. You know, he's, he's one of those, like, the thing that reminds me about Judy, about him is Judy could accelerate from zero to 60 just immediately. You know, he was, he was, he was full speed immediately, like a second step. Um, mm-hmm. That's very similar. And then Judy could also do the thing on the field where he literally just stop on a dime. Like he, there was times in college where the, the defender would just fly by him because of his momentum because <laughs> Judy could just literally just slam on the brakes. Um, that's something you see with Jamison Williams, too. But, you know, again, he's coming off that torn ACL in January. He's not going to be ready for the start of camp. So, what, you know, for me now, he's probably more of a late first round guy. Um, but, hell, if, if I mean, if he fell into the second round because of that injury, I I would be all about, you know, even moving up uh, to get him. And then, of course, you guys know the the Ohio State kids. Um, Garrett yeah. Wilson would, would be my preference of those two because I think they're both really, really good route runners. I just think that Garrett Wilson is more athletic. Um, and there, there was a stat I seen in, um, I think it was Cynthia Freeland. She did a, it was like an analytics mock draft kind of like, and she, she had put in there that, um, based on, and I don't even know how they aggregate. I, I need to get this data. Cause I, I was fascinated by this stat, but that, um, on an average per route that Garrett Wilson created more, uh, yards of separation than anyone else in this class. Um, and, and I also know that he's, you know, he's a very, very skilled guy, you know, just outside of that, you know, as well. So you would have to put him up there. I like Olave as well. You know, Olave is probably going to go later than he would have if he'd come out the year before. Um, but as mm-hmm. far as a, a late first round guy, I, I'd be in on him, too. He's he's done it for too long. Yeah, I mean, like he's, he's been whipping Big Ten corners for years now. Um, so I, I don't have any problem with his projection at all. You know, I, I think it comes down to what what your your taste is and, and how you want to go about it. But if you're the Browns and, and you want to get a guy like Burks um, or the Ohio State kids, you're going to have to pop him in the first round because that's where they're going. You have, do you, you have Drake London um, a little bit lower than these other guys? So London to me is and, and this is going to go. This is sort of a philosophical thing where I think it's harder to do and, and maybe it's this is just a bias but i think it's harder to do my job than it is for the 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 nfl folks because you know as far as stacking a draft board because the nfl folks you have a clearly delineated system you have clearly delineated coaches that are looking for these very specific things and then you have a clearly delineated roster where you you already have numerous holes plugged so you don't have to look at the entire board of, of players you can start crossing them out that's why when you hear people like you know i put out a 500 player big board and then you know sometimes you'll hear that an nfl team's you know uh, board was only 150 or or 200 deep and so you know people are probably like why do you why do you go so deep well it's because I have to rate all these players just sort of um, 
you know, without a very specific prism to, to look through. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and, and so Drake London, yeah. as far as that goes, is an extremely good fit for a specific kind of team. And I don't think as good of a fit for another kind of team. The the team that he okay. needs to go to is it's a quarterback with a bazooka arm that it's a downfield passing game. So I think he would be a perfect fit, for instance, with the Buffalo Bills. You, you saw um, Gabe Davis at the end of last season, you know, in, in the playoffs, really coming on as that, that downfield guy for Josh Allen. Josh Allen yeah. has the biggest arm in the NFL. You know, Gabe Davis had that four touchdown game. Well, Drake London is just a bigger, longer, more athletic, more skilled flat better player than than Gabe Davis. If you can put a Drake London into that spot, um you change the entire dynamic of of that offense cuz not Drake London his big, you know, he's 6'5 and he's 225 or whatever, you know, very big outside receiver, but he gets downfield and the thing that he is the best at in this class, it's ball skills. And it's also catch and that goes into uh contested situations as well. If, if you have a rebound downfield, the ball falling out of the sky, he will get higher than the defender, and he's coming down with that ball. So, you know, for that specific kind of a team, he's going to be awesome. And, and also, we go back to the spacing thing. You talk about an awesome thing as far as spacing for opening up space on the other side for Stefan Dix. You can't double that guy anymore. Um, opening up space for uh, Cole Beasley. If he lines up on his side of the field and you have to have a deep guy back to help uh, the corner with, with Drake London, um, that's going to open up a lot of space for him. It's going to open up more space for Josh Allen to run. It's going to open up more space for those running backs, stuff like that. Um, a worse fit for him is a team where it's more based in that that sort of intermediate area where Drake Lund, what's going to have to win the day for him is creating a little bit of separation to give his 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 quarterback a you know a throwing window on sort of like the third step back, and he and he just sort of tries to drive the ball in the intermediate range. That's not as much of his game. So like. For instance, like uh, Jalen Hurts is a passer like that, where where his utility it's all in that intermediate sector. I wouldn't want uh, Drake London on on the Eagles. I'm not sure that I would want him on the Browns, right? Like you know, uh -huh. it's 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 not as much of that, you know, just fling it up downfield and hope he comes down with it's sort of a, a schema there. So for me, Drake London is very <laughs> uh, specific to the team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a, yeah. an important distinction that most of us miss is that. Um, you know, you grade the guy based on his talent, but also his fit. And, you know, we don't we don't right now know what our passing offense is even going to look like. So it's it's pretty hard for us to say, well, this receiver is going to flourish, you know, in, in whatever we're going to try to do this year. Um, so, you know, just kind of continuing that thought for um, the, the next tier of guys. Um, you talked a little bit about Christian Watson and there's, there's three or four other guys. Uh, you mentioned Romeo Dubes dubs. I'm not sure how to say his last name. Um, you know, guys like Eric as I've, I've thrown his name out a bit. Um, I, I love watching his tape. Just exciting. Um, then there's a few other guys. I mean, who are your favorites in that next year? And I, I personally think the Browns need to take a second receiver either in the, you know, mid to later rounds. So who, who would you think that would be that would be the best fit for us? Yeah, well, uh, so so in in Landry's coming back, right? So the slot's taken care of. You're looking specifically we've, for an outside guy, correct? I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that he's not. He's not. Oh, his, okay. yeah, his money's not guaranteed. So and he's set to make 15, 16 million. So that I would think they're probably going to part ways. So, I mean, if that opens up uh, the slot receiver positions as well, I mean, that's you have a lot of different options. Uh, one guy that I really like is Kyle Phillips from from UCLA. Um, he was a guy that played predominantly in the slot for for Chip Kelly, but he's very skilled. He's very fluid. 
he went down to the Shrine game and may have even been the best player at the Shrine game. And I reported down from the Senior Bowl when uh, Danny Gray from SMU, when he got injured and pulled out, out of the Senior Bowl, I think this was on Wednesday, um, the Senior Bowl's first choice to replace him was Kyle Phillips. It's just that they couldn't get him across the country because the Shrine game now is competing in the same week as as, as the Senior Bowl. So the, the logistics of it were too hard. But Kyle Phillips is probably a guy that should have gotten an invite to, to the Senior Bowl. Um, so, so he would be a guy to look at Eric, um, not at home, Eric Galco, um, that the guy that now runs the shrine game, he actually comps him to Cooper cup, which that that's a bit high for me, but, um, I, I think a rich man's uh, Hunter Renfro, you know, could, you know, he, I think he's a better version of Hunter Renfro. So, I mean, he, he'd be one guy, Sky Moore, slight, diff- um, slight difference there. So, yeah. Slight difference there. Yeah. I mean, Cooper <laughs> cup was, I mean, yeah, historically destructive at the level that he played at, of course. Um, uh, Sky Moore is another guy that, that I like. Um, Sky Moore, he played on both uh, inside and outside um, at Western Michigan. He's going to be a slot guy in the NFL because he's shorter than 5'10", but um, he's really good. Um, he's really hard to keep track of. He's really hard to stay on, um, and he generally makes the play. He has some really, really impressive tape. Um, and then going even even deeper, um, I, I like Ezukama um, just fine. You know, Ezukama is going to be available you know what? I mean, maybe even late rounds, you know, certainly mid rounds. Um, but at the worst, I think he's like um, uh, Nick Westbrook of, of Indiana from a couple of years ago, a guy that's still playing in, in the league now. And I think he he added a hyphen to his name and and some or other. But I think Ezukama is a better version of that guy. Um, he's a very stout, strong outside receiver um, that has pretty good ball skills. So, I mean, you know, definitely later on there, I, I know that he's going to hang around in the league. Um, a sleeper guy, I might have mentioned this this earlier on, you know, you, you go even deeper, is Bull Melton from Rutgers. Um, yeah. He's a guy that consistently gains separation, um, whether it was in college, whether it was at um, the senior bowl practices, stuff like that. It's just he's coming out, you know, sort of like what I was mentioning with Goodson. He's coming out of this awful situation where Rutgers last year, I think they only threw for 2,000 yards total. And going back, you know, the last couple of years, it was sort of the same thing. It was this risk-averse offense that didn't have good throwers at quarterback. And so the fact that the Bull Melton could beat cornerbacks off the line all the time, it didn't really, you know, a lot of times it, it didn't manifest into anything because the quarterback wasn't getting him the ball. But if you look at his dominator rating when he's on the field, you know, and his, 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 his share of the workload there, they were going to Bull Mountain because he, you know, was just, you know, such a skilled player or whatever. So he, he would be another guy later on that I would look at as sort of a value buy just because his his price is going to be artificially suppressed because of the situation he's coming out of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have I have a question for you, Thor. And um, I've asked this question of a couple other people already and gotten different answers. But um it, by the way, Rod hasn't brought up your your 1.0 mock. Um, you yeah, I was have, saving it. I figured we'd oh. bring that up with, with the Browns. But yeah, go ahead. Let's, okay, let's get okay. into that. Um, interestingly, at 13, you have um, the Browns going with George Karlaftis out of Purdue. Um, you obviously aren't aware of the fact that we have to take a wide receiver at 13, according <laughs> to all the fans and media here in Cleveland. Um, but I've posed this question um, to, to other people. Um, you know, if we can't get the wide receiver one we want at 13, or if there are better players available at 13, okay, who are the guys? And and for me, Carlaftis is one of them. Okay, who are the guys that that you would that would force you to not take a wide receiver at 13? Yeah, that, well, that could you know, drop there. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, for, for me with the, the, you know, and obviously, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, Cleveland's just all in on, on the receiver, but for me, I, I think maybe even the bigger need, and th- this of course depends on, on free agency. It's, it's the defensive front seven, okay. you know, I, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that that's why I ended up going there, but of course that's going to depend on if, you know, the, um, um, I'm blanking on the name of the edge rusher you guys have that you're, um, is Connor. it, um, Clowning. Clowning. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to, you know, that pick and that projection is entirely dependent on on whether Clowney is, is re-signed. But Carlottis would be a, a very good fit if he's not. Um, and, you know, if they do bring back Clowney, I, I think they still have uh, needed um, interior defensive line and an off-ball linebacker. Um, yep. Now, the the interior defensive line class, it's it's good. Um, and it's it's got sort of a potpourri of guys. I don't know if there's one guy there that I would take in that spot. I, I'm I don't think I'm going to take Jordan Davis that high. Um, Devontae Wyatt, his teammate, is a really good player too. I'm not sure that I would take them e- either. You know, day two seems like a, a you know the sort of the better day for that. Um, and if the Browns did, you know, some organizations view this differently as far as off ball linebackers, they won't take them in the top 15. But um, it, you know, if, if the Browns were were serious about that, um, you got a couple studs that I think would be worth uh, potentially looking at in Devin Lloyd of Utah and Nicobe Dean of Georgia. Um, so, you know, the, the edge rusher, you know, again, d- depending on what happens with Clowney, but there, there's certainly other ways you could go. And depending on the way the board falls, if, if a Burks is there or if they're really high on, you know, for instance, Garrett Wilson, they certainly go that way, too. You notice Thor did not bring up Tyler Linderbaum because Thor has Tyler Linderbaum <laughs> going to his Vikings at 12th. So he Be, being gone long before us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping so. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched a lot of uh, Tyler Linderbaum cause I, you know, I went to Iowa for grad school. And so I, you know, when we're covering the games for Saturday for NBC, I, I always assign myself the Iowa games, of course. And, you know, I was mentioning to you guys earlier, I think that, um, you know, the Iowa offensive line was, was just trash outside of him last year, but like he was, you know, as um, just so much better, you know, than than everyone around him in, in terms of that. And this goes back a couple of years. And there's even still uh, a ceiling to develop there, I think, because Tyler Linderbaum, I don't know that a lot of people know this. He actually went to Iowa as a defensive line recruit. And then Ferentz, after, you know, in the bowl practice, heading up to the, the, his first bowl game, switched him to center. And it turned out he was a prodigy there. So I, he is still learning. He's still getting better. And uh I, and maybe just because I'm a Vikings fan, I'm, I'm really hoping that they take Linderbaum because I, I think it'd be a good fit, and I, I think he's an effing stud. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I've gushed over him over the last few weeks as well. Jeff <laughs> <laughs> brings him up every time. When you, that, say he's, yeah. when you say he's cost certainty personified, um, that, that rings a lot of bells with me. Yeah, I, you know, the um, and, and you know, this is sort of a Minneapolis thing. But like, you know, when I when I did that mock, there were some Vikings fans that were like tweeting at me and being like, you know, if, if we take a center that high just because, you know, the, the you know, the last one we took in the first round busted, you know, I'm 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 done, you know, or like whatever. But Garrett right. Bradbury, it, he was a different prospect. Garrett Bradbury was um, in the like the 97, 98th percentile in terms of athleticism. Um, you know, for for centers coming into the league, and as far as a zone blocking system, projected well with the movement and getting out. Uh, you know, getting linebackers. He, you know, he could pull and stuff like that. He did all sorts of things at NC State. But there, there was one red flag on his evaluation, and that was dealing with power. We, we had seen this in college, where the bull rusher guys could get under his pads and forklift them. And what you were hoping for was just being in that zone system that, you know, maybe he could get some help, uh, you know, as far as pass rushing, 
if he's against a power guy or, you know, different stuff like this. But in the NFL, that has proven to be a real problem. Um, he gets pushed into Kirk Cousins' lap consistently. Tyler Linderbaum does not have that issue. Um, uh, Tyler Linderbaum was a um, was one of the best high school wrestlers in the country when he was coming out of Iowa. I, I posted a thing on, on my Twitter where he beat Tristan Wirfs in a heavyweight uh, uh, fight in, uh, you know, heavyweight uh, wrestling uh, uh, duel in Iowa. I think Wirfs got him twice, but Linderbaum got him, um, you know, one of the last times that, that they wrestled before uh, Wirfs was off to, to Iowa. Um, he. Linderbaum just has a really good idea. He, he is athletic, yes, and all that sort of stuff. But he just has an intuitive feel for the grappling as well, um, which comes into play in all sorts of ways, including dropping your anchor um, because of his time, you know, in, in, in Iowa wrestling. And again, he was a lead at that in a state where um, wrestling is, you know, extremely important, way more important than in a lot of states. Hey, let's let's uh, get into the Browns a little bit more here, guys. And I think we'll... We'll uh, mix in a little bit more edge talk because I th- think we want to hear a little bit more about um, your thoughts on some edge. But um, first of all, Thor, I wanted to I wanted to go back to uh, back to the uh, um, podcast we did last year, and um, you and I talked about Greg Newsom and uh, and JOK or Wu, and um, y- you were really high on him last year. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the Browns draft last year because we haven't talked since then. I, I love their draft um, last year. I I think. Um, How surprised I, I, were you that 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 it happened that way? Oh well, I was very surprised. Yeah, I mean, you know, both that um, you know, news. I don't think a lot of people expected Newsom to be there. Um, you know, when when they were pick, initially when you know we were doing mock drafts and stuff like that. So that that was a bit of a surprise. And then um, the stunner was was Awusu Koromoa uh, falling to to round two, and um, that was something where in the moment um, I was you know texting some of my contacts and stuff like that and trying to figure out what you know what had gone on. And it turned out that it was it was that heart condition or whatever. But yeah. um, you know just as a player on the field, you know I, I was pretty stunned that that he was available where he was. Yeah. So. I want to uh, I want to bring up this uh, this tweet you put out because um, Jeff sent this to me and we've been talking about uh, Jeff and I have been talking on the podcast and other other places about um, the way the Browns have been building their team, uh, the way the, the team is built, you know, strong offensive line and, uh, you know, running the ball and, and uh, you know, short passes to the tight end and so forth and comparing that to what we saw in the Super Bowl and and your your tweet came out uh, futuristic Super Bowl someday your kids kids will ask you they used to hand the ball off in football games <laughs> um, I just kind of want to get your thought <laughs> you know and and we've talked about this but um, I guess the thought is and and I am I don't think you'll find a bigger Nick Chubb fan than me, but um, are the Browns, you know, have the Browns built this thing wrong or, you know, um, because you look at who's in the playoffs, everybody's, you know, most everybody's got a uh, a stud quarterback and some stud receivers and they're, you know, they're firing the ball down the field. Um, I know there's still a place for the running game in the league, but it is primarily a passing league and it has been for a long time. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on on that and how it relates to the Browns. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, this is uh, in part, it's it's a team construction overall uh, value question as well. And as a Vikings fan, uh, you know, going back a decade or so, there was the big thing about when this is when Adrian Peterson was like a stuff freak of nature stud. But there yeah. was this idea of like, should the Vikings just get rid of Adrian Peterson? Because having him on the team, it forces them to play in this way that is now becoming antiquated in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's at that that point uh, with Chubb, but it, you know, it, it becomes a thing of like, you know, when especially when you're devoting more uh, a higher, uh, and this was the issue with the Vikings with Peterson, you're you're allocating a higher percentage of of your cap to that guy, and he's forcing you to play in this sort of old school uh, type way. Um, would would you just be better off, um, you know, going with 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 three disparate backs that you can put into a committee and 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 guys that are better as sort of air backs and then. Uh, spreading spreading the defense I, I, there's 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 more than one way to skin a cat so i i don't think it's it's a thing where it's like um you know this guy hurts you have to move you know a, a different way or philosophically it's got to be a different thing nick chubb's an absolute stud and and certainly um you know in in the right scenario he could be on a super bowl winning team um it's just about how you know you construct that the rest of the thing around him because that you know the 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 reason that you know i put that tweet i was like a, a lot of these things you know where it used to be the traditional running concept now you got um, the extended handoffs to the outside, you know, where they're, where they're throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. You see a lot more of that stuff. You see that a lot more of the stuff with the quarterback. You see a lot more of the stuff of putting the linebacker in conflict by doing RPOs and stuff like that, where you don't need the traditional grinded out stud between the tackles because, you know, you can get these athletes in space and maybe you didn't have to devote as much draft capital to them, but you're, you're getting them into space. And, um, and, and then you're also in inside the box. Um, you can get a, a commensurate amount of yards just merely by confusing the linebacker and forcing him to try to do three different assignments at once. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's just something. I, I guess uh, you know we we've felt like the Browns have have really had something going. You know, the last couple seasons, and obviously, you know, they they had a nice season in in twenty twenty, uh, but it, it's primarily been built on on. Uh, you know the the defense, which which got better um, this season near the end of the near the end of the season, and um, you know the run and and Baker's ability in 2020 to you know to make plays when he had to. It was never really built completely around the pass, so it it just kind of brings up the question when you watch the really all of the playoffs this season of uh, you know hey are we doing this thing right? So um, I guess you don't know until you see how, you know, how your team does uh, for a couple more seasons. So <laughs> a thousand percent. I think that's some, you know, the, the Titans, uh, not that they're necessarily grappling with it. They wouldn't want to get rid of Derrick Henry, but they, they're obviously the team that is built uh, the most that way. And yeah. they've been, tr- they've been trying to figure out ways to, um, you know, take the offense beyond, you know, their, their, the sort of exotic smash mouth sort of a thing. And, um, getting in, you know, the Julio Jones and obviously, you know, AJ Brown developing was, was fabulous for that. But, um, you know, I mean, you know, the way, again, the way the NFL is going, as far as like the Sean McVay uh, coaching tree, the Mike Shanahan coaching tree, um, as you guys know, it's, it's totally different. Those guys aren't going out and, and, and devoting, you know, a, a top 50 pick to one running back that is going to get the enormous amount of usage. And then we're going to run downhill. It's more yeah. about mixing and matching based on, and, and this is sort of an analytics thing, if you want to call it that or 
Um, you could just call it uh, football moving closer to uh, the baseball concept of a platoon and putting uh, players in the best possible situ- situations, um, you know, to, to, to uh, play up their strengths and then not putting them on the field in, in situations where they have weaknesses. That's where, you know, if you have a, a three man running back room where, where they all have these, uh, you know, different kind of skill sets that you can get them all to play up just by the way that they're, you're using them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so the Browns. um the Browns are missing a lot of pieces on that defensive line. So so let, let's go back there and get a few more thoughts from you. And, and Jeff, if you want to throw some names out here, too. But uh, it, if the Browns um, don't end up with with uh, one of the top defensive ends like Karloftis, uh, Car- um, you know, and, and they're looking maybe second round. Um, what what uh, what edge guys are your favorites there? And um you know what? Uh, I guess the uh, I guess the interior defensive line. I guess this probably isn't a great class. Um, who who do you like? I, I I can't imagine the Browns would be drafting um, anybody real high at that at that spot. So we're probably looking you know third fourth round at the earliest. So who do you like at that position? At at first the the edge and then interior or, hmm. or interior. Uh, pr- probably edge first. I would think, you know, if the Browns don't don't go, if they don't go edge at 13, I would think they would be looking edge at 44 if they don't double up at wide receiver, <laughs> which yeah. would kind of be unusual. Yeah, a, a thousand percent. We've yeah, kind of, we've we've cut, we've kind of come to the conclusion that that Jadavian Clowney is not coming back as well, Thor. So, yeah, I mean, in, in that case, and if you don't take the the guy in the, the first round, um, one guy that I, I would be interested in day two, um, it's a kid named Kingsley Enigsbare from South Carolina. Um, he's he's not the tallest, but he is extremely long. Like his wingspan is ridiculous. And he's he's one of those edge rushers that um, their game, it's a combination of length and strength. He has very powerful hands. He keeps the distance between him and the offensive lineman. He disengages really quickly and um, he gets where he's going real quick, and he has this enormous uh, tackling strike zone, essentially, because he's built like a pterodactyl. Um, he was a guy who I, I think was top five in, in terms of uh, pressure rate, uh, PFF graded pressure, or just you know statistical pressure rate um, last season from this edge class. So some people, um, you know, he's not sexy enough for them because he's not he's not taller. He's not gonna. Um, some of these other guys are gonna test a little bit better, but. I think Barre, you, you go back, you know, years in the SEC, um, and he has licked some NFL-type uh, guys. And because of his skill set, he's one of those guys that can set the edge. He can play the run. Um, but he's also going to be a handful in, in pass rushing situations as well, just because of the length, the strength, and then the, the re- relentlessness as well. And what are your thoughts on Is Cameron Thomas a true defensive end? So Cameron Thomas, he he concerns me a little bit more because he, I think, um, you know, coming in, you were sort of um, thinking about him as as a guy that could be sort of a hybrid piece where he could play, you know, on the outside on running downs, and then he could play on the inside um, on passing downs and, and stuff like this. Like maybe, uh, I think maybe some people viewed him as a as a uh, sort of like an AJ Epinesa or, or even a little bit better version of that. But um, when he went to the senior ball, he measured in smaller than we thought he was going to. Um, I, I forget. I don't have the measurements in front of me, but um, you started to wonder a bit um, for sure. Then he can't, you know, at that size, he's not going to be able to moonlight inside in the NFL. So he, he's 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 stuck on the outside. And, and you wonder if 
um, is he able to steal the edge on people? You know, I, I, I know that he's going to be able to play the run um, and set the edge, but is, is he going to be able to steal it? You know, I, I don't know that he has that explosion, um, you know, or the, the first step and stuff like that. And then the pass rushing, it's not as refined for me where, you know, that, it, it, you know, as far as like that with the um, uh, playing up the, the strength and stuff like that. Um, Enix Bar is a guy that I, you know, I like more as far as a projection, as far as that goes. So, um, Thomas is interesting. Um, you know, the, there's some people that see him, you know, in that hybrid sort of way. There's other people that see him in, in sort of a tweener way. Um, and so we'll, we'll see what it ends up being with him, but I wouldn't take him as high as maybe, um, you know, coming into the senior ball that maybe some people had him. Does, uh, does Logan Hall fit that same kind of a profile? I like Logan Hall more, actually, but it, it is similar in that uh, teams are still deciding what he is going to be in the NFL because he's like um, six, five plus um, a little bit smaller, I believe, on the scale. But, he, you know, he's like 275 right now. Um, and so you wonder with him, he, he has such a rangy frame. Uh, you wonder if can we add weight to him and potentially could he could he could he move inside? Could he could he play there more? Could, you know, could he do the moonlight thing or. Um, is he just sort of a rangy, well-built edge? Um, but I like I like Logan Hall a lot. Um, he, he's very active. Um, you know, of course, he, he's he's another one of those kids who has really good length. Um, he also, you know, the effort is there. And I, what I saw at the senior bowl was um, he has a deep well of moves, of pass rushing moves and counter moves and stuff like that. So if you shut down his initial thing, um, you know, is it, whatever he's trying to do initially, um, because of his length and because of his ability to just seamlessly, you know, try out differently. Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's try this one. Let's try this one. Um, usually, he's he he's finding himself in the backfield. So I I like Logan Hall a lot. But your point's well taken that there is a an element to it of, of teams are still deciding is he a is he a three four defensive end? Is he can can he play three technique? Uh, is he is he a you know in the four three where do you play him? So th- there is mm-hmm. some of that for sure. So well, what do you- based on where we sit right now, I mean, other than Miles Garrett, we pretty much need everything. So I'm I'm in Defensive favor of line, taking yeah. all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, next after if you know next after passing game, uh, I think the most important thing in the NFL is pressuring the quarterback, right? And yep. we just have a ton of question marks there. Yeah, yeah not, sure. not many guys returning at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, certainly going to be options for that. And then, you know, the interior defensive line, I I think, you know, that's probably the place that, you know, I might have mentioned this before, but that's the place that I would look at on on day two, because I think that's where the the value and the, and the strength of, of that class is going to be. I'm not overpaying for a guy like Jordan Davis that you're probably taking off the field on third down. Um, Devonte Wyatt, yeah. I, I think I think he's going to get a price inflation just because, you know, in that that sort of top tier, he's the sort of the three down guy. But there's so many guys that on on day two are are going to be there that, um, you know, again, guys for different tastes and and, and stuff like like uh, Travis Jones, um, he was just knocking people's heads together in, in Mobile. He's more of your prototypical the space eater guy inside the war daddy guy that's going to occupy multiple blocks. And um, if you you know, if, if he's going up against a guy like Garrett Bradbury in the NFL and you leave him one on one, he's going to put Garrett Bradbury and Kirk Cousins legs like, you know, his 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 game is <laughs> it, it, it's it's the strength. Um, then you also have the, the sort of smaller, more active sort of guys like DeMarvin Leal from uh, Texas A&M. Uh, uh, Perry on Winfrey, another guy that really opened eyes at at the Senior Bowl. More um, sort of the um, the speed penetration guys from from the three technique position. 
um, you know, and, and you can go deeper where, where there's really interesting. Um, uh, one of my former colleagues, I was just talking to him about Jaden Peavy, uh, the a Texas A&M teammate of, of DeMarvin Leal. And he loves him, was just, you know, was could not say enough good things about him. He, he called him a, a bad mother. Uh, you know what? Um, and so, you know, he, he, he's, he's another guy, you know, sort of in there that's, uh, you know, he, he plays pissed off and, and he's a really, uh, well-built, uh, wide sort of interior presence. So a lot of, a lot of different things there, again, waiting on that until day two, I, I think you're going to be able to find something. Nice. Well, you know, the Browns have, uh, what, nine picks. I mean, it, it sounds from what from uh, what you're saying, Thor, that we should be pretty optimistic about the the value that the Browns are going to get all the way through through the fourth, fifth. I mean, it, I think we have a lot of confidence in, in Andrew Barry, you know, the GM, anyways. But um, but it sounds like like there should be a lot of uh, solid value through that second fourth round pick at which is like one seventeen, I think. Um, I think so. Yeah. You know, and if, um, you know, last year, I think I, in my mock draft, I think I had given them the Browns, uh, Christian Barmore, um, and maybe, you know, we'll, we'll never know, but if, if Newsom was off the board or, you know, some, you know, maybe it would have gone that way, but I, I don't mind at all. And, and in fact, I love that the GMs that aren't stuck on, um, a speci- we need this position. We need, you know, with this pick, we need to come out with this thing because it allows you more flexibility where, you know, we talked before about how Newsom, no one expected him to be available, when the Browns were picking, it, it so happened that that he was. And so you, you get that. And then in the second round, it opens stuff up for you. You know, like, um, you, you know, you're already sort of playing with house's money from a value perspective. And then Jeremiah Wusu-Kormo just falls. Fa- it's a gift from God, right? You know, like the other NFL <laughs> yeah. teams got skittish about his health profile. But you watch that kid on the field. You take him in the slot that Browns took him at. And it's, it's not a risk anymore. The upside right. is so high at no. that point. Where, it, you know, and, and, and the downside is, like, he wasn't even considered close to them, um, at least from what I had heard, to, like, the Maurice Hurst thing coming out. And so the the risk of that, it, it didn't seem nearly commensurate enough to push him down the board to, to where you did. And so I, I love the the executives that are, are open to all possibility. They're not going to go necessarily off the reservation with it. Um, but, but you know, where, where they're open to the different possibilities. And to your point, I think that that's something that, the Browns are going to be able to leverage again this year. You know, it's, it's you know, there's, you know, if, if you want to say wide receiver, edge, interior defensive line and linebacker, you know, m- maybe you'd even have a couple more buckets than that. But if you just want to say those four for the first round, let's just take the best guy available, you know, right there. And then, you know, you still, you know, go, going down, if you don't zero in on that, you know, the, the other position should be able to to fill you up at, at your next couple of picks. What we don't want is a situation like, uh, for instance, Dave Gettleman and and Urban Meyer last year, where Dave Gettleman, you know, he wanted uh, Devonta Smith and thought he was going to get him, and then all of a sudden the, the Eagles trade up, and you know, Gettleman's like, "Oh my God, what do I do?" And so he he trades down like you know eight or nine spots, and he overdrafts the absolute hell out of Kadarius Tony. Like the the the, the you know the the trade to get the extra first round pick, that's great, but y- you you have you have hurt yourself from a value perspective in that transaction by overdrafting Kadarius Tony by forty or fifty picks, and then Urban Meyer who thought no one at the NFL is as dumb and stubborn as me. No one will take Kadarius Tony over me. It's not possible. <laughs> and then Dave Gettleman's like, hold my beer. And so, you know, <laughs> Gettleman steals Tony from him. And then Urban Meyer's like, well, shit, what do I do? And he ends up taking uh, uh, Travis Etienne with this idea of turning him into like an H-back slot, Paris Campbell, uh, Curtis Samuel type guy from his old Ohio State offense is like, 
or Percy Harvard. It's like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like Travis Etienne is the worst thing he did in college was was receiving. So that's the kind of thinkers we do not want making our decisions. We want the right. guys who are fluid. And, you know, it's like Bruce Lee said, it's like water. You just react to what's around you. You do the best in that in that circumstance. I think the Browns do that. Yep. Well, I, I can only hope that uh, when pick 44 rolls in that I that I jump off my couch and and scream yes like I did last season when someone <laughs> <that> came in. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Anything like that, I'll be excited because, yeah, I've got a lot of confidence. But, uh, um Jeff, do you have any other questions for Thor? We've uh, we've kept him for a while. I know he's got some other things that he would probably like to be working on. Right. No, I, I've, it's been a pleasure, Thor. I've, I really enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, and you know, we're still early in the process, like we said. But let's let's, let's see how all this shakes out. And good luck to good luck to Tyler Linderbaum in Minnesota. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I hope we get him. And it, it was great talking to you guys. I think this is the first I, I've been on, of course, with Rod a couple of times in the past, but I think it's the first time we've done it. So I, it was good talking yep. to you as well. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So, uh, so uh, Thor, is there anything you'd like to leave the, the, the fans of Cleveland with? Any words of wisdom? Well, I, I think, you know, you know, maybe, you know, that you had higher hopes last year. So, you know, I, I think there's there's how how to put this. It seems like there's a little bit more pessimism when I when I read Cleveland stuff about the the trajectory of the team than, than I would put on. Like, I, I, I think Cleveland's doing well. You know, like a couple of years ago, you know, we talk about like, um, you know, uh, identifying areas of your team that must improve and then going after it. A couple of years ago, you know, we were talking about uh, offensive line. Right. And like the things that they had to do to fix that. And they, yeah. they went about that and they did so. Right. And and th this is what you want to see. And then, you know, the thing in where we're with the draft, you're going to take the best possible values, you know, at, at some of these positions like those things we're seeing. Um, there might be some individual disappointment with individual players, you know, between back or, um, you know, maybe Mayfield, you know, people want him to be a little bit better. But the the philosophy behind what is being put onto the field, it seems like a, a true uh, sort of thought process to me. And so if I was a Browns fan, I'd, I'd be excited for the future. Absolutely. Um, so uh, everybody can follow you and find your stuff at Thor KU. Is there anything anything else you have going on? Anything else you want to plug? Yeah, you can find yeah Thorku on Twitter, and then uh, on NBC Sports Edge. You know we're, we have all the the pre-draft stuff right now. You know I, I was in, you know did all the Senior Bowl stuff before, and and next week actually I think it's a week from Tuesday. I'm flying to Indianapolis for the combine, so definitely follow along on on Twitter. I'll be posting a whole bunch of stuff from inside that ballroom. You know interviewing people and stuff like that. And if anyone out there has any questions for any of these prospects that you want to hear answered, definitely shoot it to me on Twitter, and I'll see what I can do for you. Excellent. Oh, we appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. Uh, this appreciate has been the Browns. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>